So, in order to situate ourselves in Scripture, we're going to go over a little of the background information of the book of Ecclesiastes. So, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. Adam and I wanted to go through the Old Testament this semester because it's been a while in big church and here on Sunday nights that we've done something in the Old Testament. So, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, So, like the Kahoot said... Books of the Old Testament are broken up into different categories. We have the Pentateuch. Does anyone know what the Pentateuch is? Five. Pence. Think of like a Pentagon. First five books. But that was good. That was good. Okay, so first five books of the Old Testament. We also have, we have historical books. And then we have poetic and wisdom books, which are things like Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Job, and then the book of Ecclesiastes, and then we have prophetic books. So that can kind of help you understand the kind of language that Solomon is going to be using throughout this book. It's going to kind of read like a proverb or a psalm. It's different than like reciting the history. Um, So the author, as the Kahoot said, is Solomon. Um, Does anyone know anything about Solomon? He's very wise, yes, because what did he ask for from God? He, yes, he asked for wisdom from God. What else do we know about Solomon? He's David's son, yes. Yes, so we also know that he's very wealthy. And so, yeah, do you have something else to add? Yeah, he had, he had a problem with multiple wives. Um, so here we see, <laughs> yeah, that might be the understatement of the century. He had multiple wives. Uh, so we need to know these things so that we can understand the context in which Solomon is writing from uh, and that we can better understand um, what this passage is trying to say. So wisdom or poetic books are stories of human struggles and experiences from the time of Abraham all the way to the end of the Old Testament. Um, So when we look at Scripture, it's important to know who wrote this book um, because he is very wealthy. He pretty much had anything that anyone could want. Um, So the question that Solomon is going to be um, mulling over throughout this whole book is basically what is the meaning of life? So this semester, we are going to hit it hard. We're going to ask the very first night of youth group what the meaning of life is. So this is a deep question, but what I want you to do is turn to the people next to you and try to answer, what is the meaning of life? What would you say is the meaning of life? I'll give you like 30 seconds to figure this question out. All right, so I'm not going to ask you all to answer that tonight, but what I want you to do is to kind of tuck that, tuck that away. That's going to be kind of the driving theme throughout this book um, this semester. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to go ahead and have Mia do that, so if you'll follow along. 
I don't how <laughs> one through eleven. Yeah, how close do I hold it? Okay. Uh the the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind. And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what it will be, and there has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So from the very first verse, we see where we get um, the author of the book. We know that Solomon is David's son. So that verse is pretty straightforward. Uh, moving on to verses 2 and 3. It says, absolute, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute, absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that labor under the sun? So that's kind of like a dark and crushing thought here. And some of your guys' translations might say vanity. And so those two words are kind of used interchangeably. And those are used 38 times just in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we want to take some time to define that because we won't understand um, what the book means without that. So the word actually means vapor. And so if you think about in the winter when you're, I don't know, you guys probably don't ride the bus anymore, but when you're outside, maybe you do. When you're outside, hey, that's awesome. So think about when you're at your bus stop. You're outside, it's freezing, you breathe, you see like your breath, the fog come out, and then it's gone in an instant. So that's kind of what Solomon is saying about our lives. Here today, gone tomorrow. We see this theme multiple times in scripture, but that's kind of what the book of Ecclesiastes is going to be about. And so if we look to verse 3, Solomon is asking a rhetorical question that will prove his main point in verse 2. So if you think about like English class, come arts, whatever you guys call it now, um, that's kind of, verse 2 is kind of like the thesis statement of this passage in scripture. Um, he's basically saying that everything in life is meaningless. Luckily, there's hope. It doesn't just end there, but everything is meaningless. And so if we think about it this way, if the world is all that there is, if there is no God, no afterlife, no final judgment, then basically everything is meaningless. Solomon is basically asking, if there's no God, then what's the point? Oftentimes, um, when we think about the word vanity in the Bible, it's used in connection with idols. And that's how we should think about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to read a longer um, quote, and it's actually up on the screen too. It says, people try to find satisfaction in created things rather than the creator. And seeking satisfaction in anything or anyone other than God is idolatry. We know that created things cannot bring satisfaction. It's not that pleasure, money, stuff, or success are bad things in and of themselves, but when they become ultimate things to us, they let us down. You see, a good thing turned into a, a God thing becomes a bad thing. 
And so that's what Solomon is getting at. He has everything. He has temples. He has wealth. He has wisdom. But he's essentially asking himself, like, what is the point of all of this? Like, when I die, what is the point? The wealth isn't going to follow me. My fame, my fortune isn't going to follow me into the next life. So what is the point? And we can't really fully understand this passage unless we think back to the beginning of Genesis. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created earth perfectly. We see creation in animals, in the ocean, in the plants, in humans. They're all created with an intentional, perfect design. But then in Genesis 3, we see the corruption of that. We see sin enter the world when Adam and Eve took a bite of the apple, of the fruit. And so we see that they went against God's design of the earth. And then we see that's exactly when we start making all of these good gifts that God intended to be used for his glory into our own personal gods. Um, Because humanity rebelled against God, we turn his good gifts and make them into God's. We try to find satisfaction in created things rather than in God. So on the screen, you'll see, this is just a quick chart um, of things that we turn, that are good things that God actually created that we see in um, Genesis, and we turn them into bad things, into our own personal gods. So that could be food, that could be drink, that could be relationships, that could be work. Any number of these things that we see that God created in his original design, we corrupt because we bring our sinful desires, sinful thoughts into these things. And so there are more than just those things listed, but um, we see that all humanity over all time has corrupted God's good gifts. And so these next few verses, um, verses 4 through 8, are only going to further prove that point. So I'll go ahead and read 4 through 8 again. It says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It hurries back to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, and the ear is filled. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled by hearing. So we see here that Solomon has a pretty bleak picture of life, according to what was wrote in Ecclesiastes. It's kind of depressing when you read the book of Ecclesiastes. You can almost feel like the weight of his weariness. Um, If you think about your life, and just even think about your chore list, you make your bed, you brush your teeth, you do your laundry, and then you rinse and repeat and do that over and over, day after day, day after day. That's kind of the, the burden that he's feeling here. It's like, what is the point of all of this um, that we're experiencing? And the truth is, we try to cope with that, and we turn to harmful things to try to attain our satisfaction in life. But those things are never enough. We see that Solomon thinks that those things are never enough. We know that those things are never enough. Maybe you turn to food when you're dissatisfied, but it'll always leave you wanting more the next day. Maybe you turn to friendships or relationships, but those are guaranteed to disappoint 
at one time or another. Maybe it's experiences, travel, trips, and those things will fade away and only leave you wanting more. What's next? It's exactly like if you think about the Lay's potato chip motto, like, bet you can't just have one. You're always wanting more, more Instagram likes, more encouragement, more feedback. We're never going to be satisfied if we get a compliment once in our life. We're going to want that year after year. Um, think about even like on your birthday. If only one of your friends texted you, happy birthday, you'd be kind of disappointed, right? Like you want to be acknowledged and to know that you're loved. Uh, we can't just be satisfied with one thing. We are always wanting more. And this is something I struggle with. I'm not just here preaching at you. This is something that every human, aside from Jesus, has ever struggled with over the course of time. So we see that Solomon is really struggling here. Um, our flesh wants more, wants to be more, to do more, experience more. And that drive is in all of us, and no one's exempt. So if we look back down to verses 9 through 11, we'll kind of conclude. It says, what has been is always what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before, and those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who will follow them. Okay, so that's also kind of depressing. Um, we're going to do a little uh, activity here. Raise your hand if you know the name of your great-great-grandparents. Well, uh, no, that doesn't count. Got another full name. Great-great, okay. So a few, a few of you all. What about great-great-great-grandparents? Okay, it's like Stan, Stanley Yelnats. It's like the same name, generation. Okay, that's too old. You guys don't know the book holes. Okay, so... Long story short, unfortunately, we like, we like to think that we'll be remembered from generations to come, but the unfortunate truth is we probably won't be. And so if our, if our goal is to be remembered, to have glory, to have fame, like, unfortunately, that's not really the way it works. Um, we see that here in Scripture, um, and that's a heavy way to start a sermon series. Nothing like going back to school just telling you that no one's going to remember you in a few hundred years. <laughs> but if that was our hope, yes, that would be very bleak. But we know that we have Jesus. We need Jesus. And that sounds like a Jesus juke, but it's true. If we're trying to put our, our hope in things and even being remembered in stuff, none of that stuff is going to follow you all. That, that might be a newsflash to some of you guys, but none of the things that you accumulate in this life is going to follow you after you die. Nothing on this earth is going to satisfy our souls. We need something bigger and better, and the only answer there is Jesus. I know because I see in Scripture, through examples like Paul, that we could be utterly content and have nothing. Jesus literally didn't even have a bed to rest his head on, but he was content. And so if you're feeling discontentment, and I know that all of you all are here in this room. For everyone, it looks a little different. For everyone, the struggle is a little bit different. But this is true for all humanity. You're struggling with some kind of discontentment. I want you to kind of think about that and sit in that for a second. 
I want you to think about where you find your greatest hope in that discontentment. Where do you find your greatest hope? And then what is your deepest desire? And in that discontentment, is the solution obtaining that thing that you want? Is the solution obtaining that grade, obtaining that girlfriend or boyfriend, to having this relationship? Is that going to ultimately satisfy you when you think about where your discontentment lies? If you think about the question, I will be happy when, and you get that thing, is that thing ultimately going to satisfy you? The answer, unless it's Jesus, is going to be no. I hate to break it to you, but that is just true and will always be true. You'll never be satisfied if the answer to those questions are achievement, people, or material items. Jesus alone can satisfy. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in our D groups. I'm going to pray and then we'll break. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, it's so good to be back for the semester. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would calm anyone if they're feeling anxious about the starting week or if they're just feeling um, dissatisfied, Lord. I just pray that we're able to wrestle through this passage, that we're not um, going to just sit in our discontentment, but we're going to process it. We're going to ask questions, Lord. So I just pray that you'd guide us in that process that you will lovingly um, point us to you. In your name I pray, amen. So afterwards, we're going to go to Culver's and then come back and play Arkansas Volleyball if you want to stay. But you can break to the group.